Welcome to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. I'm your host, Nicole, and this podcast is your guide to start creating a lifestyle by design. From entrepreneurship, money and finance, taxes and residencies, and everything in between, this show highlights the nuances of a true global citizen lifestyle. Let's dive in. Welcome back to the Work, Wealth, and Travel podcast. In today's episode, I'm so excited to share this episode, especially if you are into podcasting, you are a podcaster yourself, or you're looking to grow your podcast, this is the episode for you. We all know there are so many various streams of income that are associated with podcasting, but in order to get to those streams of income, you need to grow a successful podcast first. So today I am speaking with Lindsay of All Ears English. Lindsay has grown a globally ranked podcast. Her podcast has 8 million monthly downloads across her entire catalog and 100,000 downloads plus per episode. It has also been awarded the best Apple podcast in various different countries around the globe and in different categories. She's been podcasting since 2013, that's 10 years, almost 11 years now, which is so wild. She's such an OG in this game. She has built her entire business off of her podcast and her podcast teaches people the language of English. So if you are interested in podcasting, the monetization behind podcasting, how to get started and how to grow a sustainable podcast, this is the episode for you. So let's dive right into it. Lindsay. Welcome to the show. Hi, Nicole. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. I'm so excited to dive into everything podcasting and business entrepreneurship today. So before we dive in, I would love to hear a little bit more about your background, your story, how you got started in this industry and what that looks like for you today. Well, I started with a, a desire to travel. After college, I moved to Japan, taught English in Japan for a year and a half, and then moved to New York, taught English there, and then decided I had to see all of South America and learn Spanish. So I left New York for a year and did a backpacking stint living in Buenos Aires, living in Guatemala, and just traveling overland across the whole continent of South America. And so it came from traveling. A lot of ESL teachers, and that is really the main genre, like it's the it's the industry I'm in is English as a second language for adults. Many of them want to travel and that's how they get into it. And that was the same thing for me. We have a lot in common. You don't know it, but we do. So (laughs) I actually moved to China when I was 23 years old and I wanted to, I'm from Canada. I wanted to leave my home country. I never really felt fully aligned there. I don't know if you experienced that as well, Yeah, Um, but I wanted to experience a different culture in a different place. And long story short, I haven't lived there since I left six years ago. But I moved to China and I was teaching English. And so I would love to hear what your experience in teaching English looks like and then how it evolved into this huge global brand. Because I know for me, my personal experience, and we have such different experiences, which I love. So I want to hear your side of it. But I started teaching English and I was like, nope, this is not for me. I never (laughs) saw myself as a teacher. I don't think anyone would describe me as a teacher. Even being around kids all the time was not really something that I had ever aimed for in a career or a position. Um, So that was kind of me, but I used that to discover what my passions were because I knew that that was not one of them, um, which got me to where I was today. So I'd love to hear how teaching kind of brought you into now a huge global brand. That's the key, right, Nicole? We have to use our 20s 
to do that work. And it's such a privilege to be able to do it. But if we have the ability to go travel and think, oh, I'm going to try this, it's not me. That's an amazing gift. So really going deep into that exploration is, I think, the key to a happy career. So in Japan, I taught for a company called Eon in Tokyo. And so I had, I wasn't just in a public or private school with just kids. I had the whole spectrum, all ages, anywhere from age three up to grandparents, grandmothers I taught. That was kind of cool. I got to see all of Japanese society uh, in terms of students that came to that school. And yeah, I did enjoy teaching. Teaching English in Japan is a bit more like performing, especially if you're one of the native teachers. And that felt a little strange, but I was 20. 223 I was like I'm traveling I'm living abroad I'm making money I was happy. I also kind of always knew I had a kind of brewing sense that I always eventually wanted to work for myself. That kicked in a little later towards uh age 30 after I hiked the Camino de Santiago, left New York, went to Boston for grad school and through that summer just kind of exploring, having that incredible freedom to take 2 months off. I thought to myself, I never want to have to ask anyone for a vacation, right? I don't want to have to submit to apply to go on vacation. And things have loosened up for employees now. But I was just very clear because my dad was a business owner and I saw that growing up and I had a sense of comfort with risk. Right? everyone has a different sense of what is risky, what is safe. I kind of defined risky as actually having an employer, because then that's one person that could fire you. Whereas if you own your own business, you have many clients or hopefully sources of revenue. For me, it always felt safer. And so I dove right into that after once I went to Boston for graduate school, podcasting was coming up then. It was 2013, 2014. I thought, hey, I could change my industry. I've seen some gaps in my industry, especially for teaching adults. I'm going to change that. And that's when I decided to launch Allers English. What an amazing journey. So I'm curious, what did it look like? You're thinking, I want to work for myself. I have this entrepreneurial drive. I have a skill in English, teaching English, and it's something I enjoy. But how did that actually transition into starting and growing a business? It actually helped that I was fired from one of my jobs in New York. And it wasn't for, you know, not doing well or not being a good teacher. It was due to a certification that the school needed that they I didn't have when I was hired. And I think they hired me erroneously. And I had my certification in TESOL. I had studied. I knew how to teach English. But it was a state certification in New York State that I didn't have. And so that day when I got fired with no explanation, it was just like, see, like you're gone. We're, we're recertifying our school. You have to leave. That helped me. That was kind of an impetus to say to myself, like I said, I just want to work for myself. I don't want to have this happen again. So it always helps to have a bit of a, a scare in life that will push you in one direction or the other. And then in terms of how I did it, it was after graduate school. And like I said, podcasting was starting to become like a, a big thing, but it was only kind of the nerds and personal development podcasts that existed. And I was listening to those personal development podcasts and I was loving it. I had my favorite podcasters and I thought, hey, there should be a podcast. There were a few other shows in ESL, but they were all kind of presenting the old way. What I saw is the old way of teaching English, which is frankly kind of boring very stiff, very professional. I think ESL teachers have a thing where they have to be qualified and professional. And therefore, no one was putting their face on the cover of their show. No one was putting any personality into what they were teaching. 
So the idea that I had, I contacted another ESL teacher I knew in Boston at that time. I said, hey, you want to start a show? And we just liked talking to each other. We just enjoyed the conversation. So naturally, more personality came out. And we did things like we put ourselves on the cover. We chose yellow as our cover art, not like a subtle, a more subtle professional color, right? And so we took, we did certain things that immediately created a new lane for us in English as a second language. I like that you mentioned that point because I do think, and I'm sure you you would be the expert in knowing this, but I'm sure it has slightly changed over the years. But I think it's still very much a dominant idea that you have to be very professional and buy the books yeah. because you are, quote unquote, a teacher, you know? And yeah. in you saying that, it's very interesting because so my partner speaks Mandarin, so he does a lot of business with people in China. We lived there for so long. And... Mm-hmm. He, in order to remember and brush up as we're traveling and we're not in Asia, he found this really great YouTube channel of this woman who was Chinese, had a really standard accent. He really liked her content. It was engaging. It was like hour long videos. So you could just listen and practice. And it's funny because as he got to know her personally, she is not an, a certified English teacher, I will say. Yeah. And she doesn't really have too extensive of a teaching background, but she now has her entire business from YouTube, from her course, so many different Mm -hmm. ways that she's monetized. And she's not even that traditional teacher. So I think it really has a lot to say more so about your skills and how you present than do you have this certification? Yeah, it's it's about do you understand how adults learn, right? Because we're not teaching children here. We're not teaching kids in a classroom where there's a test coming up and you're teaching to the test. That's not really a thing for adult language learn. You need to capture their hearts before you capture their heads. And so if they're already bored from the time they turn on the podcast, they're not learning a thing. They're not going to retain anything. So what we do in our show is we put the focus on human connection. And we actually trademarked this phrase. This was our one of the first big business steps I took with Allers English. The phrase connection, not perfection, really speaks to our value as a show. Everything we teach comes back to human connection. And so Yes, we're going to teach you the correct grammar. Yes, we're going to go research that, prepare the episode properly. Everyone on my team does have a master's degree, one in applied linguistics, two in TESOL, and myself in intercultural relations. So we are educated. Yes, we have our certificates, but we don't think that grammar and perfection is what matters when it comes to human communication. So we bring the focus back to human connection and we trademark that phrase. Trademarking is something I definitely recommend. It's cheap, relatively cheap when you're building a business. It costs about $2,000 to trademark a phrase or a brand name, which is an incredible deal for building your brand from an early day. Kind of on the little side note of trademarking, I actually just had a recording with a lawyer who specialized in trademarking and contracts. And it was so interesting because I'm sure you now know this, but I think a lot of people, myself included, didn't realize the power in trademarking and that you can have a business and have a name or have a URL, but it doesn't mean you truly own it until you trademark it. So I found that very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And the hard part about trademarking is the only way to defend your trademark, you probably maybe you're the, the lawyer said this on the show, you have to say it, you have to use it all the time because that's how, like, if you think of Nike, it's not because they trademarked it, it's because they use it in all their commercials, you see it everywhere. It's the use of the trademark that helps people associate it with you as a brand, not the fact that there's something in the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office that says that you own this phrase, right? So it's interesting. Yeah. So I want to go back because I definitely want to dive more into your podcasting journey. So 
what has and now what year do you start the podcast in? The uh, the podcast started in the fall of 2013, 10 years okay. ago. Oh, my gosh, a decade. That's crazy. So yes. you were maybe one of the more OG podcasts out there. So what does okay. the journey look like yeah. for you? You now have you know 8 million downloads per month. What has the journey in the last decade looked like from starting to getting to where you are today and building a huge global business? It's been a lot of work. But the good news is that we love podcasting. I mean, I keep doing it because I actually enjoy this mode of communication, right? I hate blogging. So our team writes the blog. Uh, I don't love video. So I don't really do a lot on YouTube. Yes, we have a channel, but we don't really grow that channel. We don't focus on it. Our primary channel is podcasting because we love being on the microphone. And we love these connection uh, chemistry conversations with our co-hosts. And so it's been about that. So when I started the show, I thought that Allers English was going to be a hobby. I actually had another business at the time, which is a consulting, like a training, one-to-one tutoring training company, where I would hire tutors in New York and Boston, pay them, match them with a student who came through our website, very simple business model, contractor model. And I thought that'll be my business, but there wasn't much passion behind that. It was just literally matchmaking and there wasn't any magic. And so Allers English had the magic, but the key is, yes, we we hit it off with some good branding. We had something different, something catchy, but we had to work really hard. And so from the beginning, we've always published four episodes a week and we we never missed that. We do short episodes, 15 to 20 minutes, never missed it. And I'm quite proud of that because that's something we can debate from a business model perspective, but it has helped us to really grow in the apps and get our brand reputation out there, trust getting listeners addicted to the show. If they consume it more often, they'll become more excited about the next one. There's just just science of the brain, right? And so all these things work together. In terms of monetization, we started selling our transcripts around month two or three. And then we took on our first sponsor about a year in. We took on a sponsor with a language marketplace platform. They sponsored us for a couple of years. And then we published our first online course when I hired two other podcast co-hosts. And one of them had qualifications, had been an examiner in IELTS. And I don't know if some of your audience knows IELTS for sure. It's an exam for immigration. And I said, okay, this is going to be the first course we build because it's a niche within a niche, right? So finding those niches inside of a niche, even in 2015, that's what we had to do. I'm curious in you saying kind of the different monetization and what that looks like, what do you think has been, and maybe you've already mentioned a few of these, but what have been some of the biggest factors that you would attribute to the success of your podcast and the 8 million downloads? Is it that connection piece? Is it maybe even having the short bite-sized episodes four times a week, which is pretty often? Or is there something else that maybe you haven't mentioned here that you would really attribute to that success over the year? I think a big thing that we did in the beginning and have always done is building relationships in our industry. So we know pretty much everyone in our industry. We have collaborated with them in the first hundred episodes. I think 30 of them were guest episodes, meaning we invited people who are already podcasters in this industry onto our show. And sometimes they invited us onto theirs. Not always. It's not a direct transaction, but sometimes that happens. That was a big part of getting us up there, getting a momentum going. And I know it's become a lot harder now. 2023 is totally different from 2013. There's way more shows, but I still always recommend that as a early days strategy. So would you say that the guesting is 
really successful because it's promoted on two channels. It's promoted on your channel and their channel. Or was it guessing in the sense of maybe you're having conversations with this person so that the listener can learn English and they get to hear two different accents, they get to hear two different voices talking? Or is it more so that you get more eyes and ears on your content through going through promotion of somebody else's page as well? I think it's the latter. It's the third thing you mentioned. It's also the fact that, to be honest, the best way to promote a show is from within the podcast environment, because not everyone is a podcast listener. When I see people doing a lot of promotion on social media, I just kind of shake my head. I think this does not work. I'm sorry, it doesn't work. Like it's very hard to move someone from Instagram to a podcast. So I recently was on the phone with someone who's starting a show that was used to be on TV and I knew them through someone else, whatever. They're kind of a, a big name and they have a huge TikTok channel. And this person asked me, hey, I just launched my podcast and I can't figure out why it's not taking off. I have this huge TikTok channel. You don't get it. Right? So you have to advertise and get exposure for your show from other listeners. When I'm on someone's show, like one of my competitors or friends, people that I've also collaborated with and, and strategized with before, right, in mastermind groups and things, I know these people, then that listener that listens to the show A, here's me, and automatically they just open their search bar and add my show and hit follow as soon as they get to know me on this show, right? So it's the most obvious way to get new listeners, which creates, which is new followers, which gets you up there in the rankings and the algorithms. So that's the way to do it. That's the way to grow your show. I've never heard that take before. So I, I find that very hmm. interesting of the fact that social media is maybe not the best way to promote your show because it doesn't always no. convert over. But I do think that is so true. I see some podcasts on Instagram specifically. That's usually where I hang out and they will promote every day. You know, whether it's it's not always a new episode every day, but it's always some sort of episode promotion or coming out. And the way that I feel, and I don't know if others would see it this way, but I always think like that's kind of so much promotion. Whereas for me personally, I like people to come to my show organically. If people are you know, asking for recommendations or if people see the short clip posted on my like once a week on my social media and they're like, oh, this is an interesting topic. Maybe I'll check this out more of an organic way. Would you have any more tips on how to best promote your podcast? That's the problem with social, right? Is it, like I said, not everyone listens to podcasts. So you could assume that maybe, maybe 50% of those people know what a podcast is, know how to get to it, especially internationally in Instagram or in Facebook or in TikTok. So it's really staying within each channel. Other suggestions? Yeah. I mean, we've done, when you get a little bit more into your show, Doing things like promo swaps works too in the for the same reason that I think guesting works better coming on someone's show and like being interviewed or presenting content works the best. But a, a second best would be uh, promo swaps. So if I contact another show in my industry, I say, hey, let's swap 200,000 impressions of an ad for your show, for my show and yours and, and vice versa. You just run down those impressions, right? So if you have a host that can help you count impressions for an ad, that can work. Or you can just say, hey, how many episode downloads does your episode get? We'll bake it into the episode. We'll call it even if or put it in two episodes versus one, right? Does that make sense? So you're just swapping an ad. Mm -hmm. Drops works so as well. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. 
Mm-hmm. That's that's really interesting. Thank you. And, and in you saying that you mentioned really briefly in there, like international listeners, yeah. I'm sure you have a lot of international listeners. So what does that look like yes. when you are you networking with others in other countries across the globe who speak different languages and potentially have language on a different continent or country of the world? Or Because I feel like you have a very unique niche in podcasting. I mean, the easiest thing is to start with people that speak your language, like native English speakers who are teaching English as a second language. But certainly as a next, it's all levels, right? As a next level, a next strategic level, you could reach out. And we've done a little bit of this through different licensing deals. We've kind of collaborated with some Taiwanese podcasters who are teaching English through their own shows, right? You can get introductions. That's something I'd like to do more because that's a very obvious, like 100% of their listener base is your target market. And that makes total sense. Whereas if I go on to a non-ESL show, the host speaks English, but it might be a small percentage of their listeners that are that are learning English. So that's not the best strategy, right? That would not be the number one way to go. So take some strategy, some thinking about it, but it just take a little bit of extra effort and it can be done for sure. Let's talk monetization for podcasts. Let's talk money. So what did it look like? I'm sure you know the landscape has changed a lot from when you started 10 years ago. What would you recommend starting with for monetizing your podcast? And it sounds like you have various different ways you've monetized that, but maybe some of these have been built up over the decades. So it may look different and you may have different recommendations for where you started versus where to start monetizing a podcast now. So what would you recommend and what do you think that looks like to get started? There's a lot for sure. I think it comes back to asking yourself the question, what kind of business do you want to build? Do you want to build more of a media company where the podcast is the business? That's choice one. Or do you want to build more of an education, an info product business where your podcast is part of the business, but it's also really a marketing channel? Right. Those are two different ways to build out a business. And for us, it's it's actually both. <laughs> we started more as a marketing channel for our courses. And now we've split the model and we're partially a media company. So putting ads on the show and also still selling our own courses. So we're using it for two ways and then moving into licensing our courses with companies, moving into the B2B space, which is kind of a next step for us. Right. That's something we could do. But stopping and saying, yeah, do I just want the show? That's totally legitimate too. Do I just want the podcast? Great. Then I'm going to do, probably it's going to be about ads, about advertising, right? So if you have the audience, there's so many options cropping up now to monetize your audience. Depending on who you host with, you can have programmatic ads just inserted into your show. You would have to place your, your dynamic ad markers in your episodes, which can take time depending on how many episodes you have. But once you get those set up, you can turn it on. Most hosts can, you can say, I want two pre-rolls, two mid-rolls, two, two post-rolls, whatever I want. And then at the end of the month, they send you a check. And then you can also do host red ads, right? Work with an agency that would go and sell your show to brands. So that's on the monetization of the podcast. Then if you want to have an education brand, well, I'll just stop. Do you have any questions about that first? I don't want to just steamroll through. Just any questions about that media model, the podcasting, the ads, anything guess my only question in that you mentioned hosting and I know there are many hosts out there I would be curious who you recommend and who you don't because I know that there are some free that kind of have not great implications but you can kind of dive into that maybe yeah for sure so for so many years until 
for a long time until last year, we were on Libsyn and Libsyn was fine for us. We were on the Libsyn like non-monetized plan. So they have Libsyn Pro now where they will, I think they're doing programmatic ads now, just automatic insertion ads, but we were on the basic plan. So it was like 25 bucks a month, very cheap. They've been in the industry the longest of any host. Like they are the OGs of podcasting. They know what they're doing. Support is good. Your podcast will be fine. You don't have to worry about your RSS feed disappearing if you host at Libsyn, right? And that's true for, you know, Simplecast, I'm sure, and a number of others. Just look for a host, a basic host who's been around for a long time and they have cred. They should be at the conferences. They should be reputable. You should have heard of them. But Libsyn's a safe bet for most podcasters. When you, when it came time to monetize with automatic ads, like automatic insertion ads and host rate ads, we, we did migrate to Megaphone. So we're on Megaphone now on a, just in a, what do you call it, like a enterprise plan, because that's the direction we're going in and that works for us. But that's not necessarily for everyone. I, I would only recommend that as your podcast gets a lot bigger. For sure. And are there any that you would not recommend for any reason? There's nothing that I would not recommend because I haven't really hosted anywhere else. Anchor, I've heard strange things about them, but I know they're owned by Spotify. So I can't really say they may have cleaned it up now. Well, the only reason I ask is because I've heard a pretty prominent course creator, but he was mentioning a while back to not go with any of the, the free offerings. Anchor is now Spotify for podcasters, so that's free. And mm. I think there's some other ones out there that are free because they basically yeah. own everything. I thought that was really interesting. And no one ever asked about that, especially when starting a podcast. Mm. You don't know. I agree with that. I would not. I would be very skeptical of anything that's free at all. Because again, just like you need to own your website, you need to own your domain, you need to own your RSS feed. So when you go to look at these hosts, ask them, can I redirect my RSS feed? How easy is it? How would I do it if I wanted to do it tomorrow? And make sure they don't lock down your feed because that's a worst case scenario. So 100%. You should be paying something. At a place like Libsyn, you could pay like five or 10 bucks a month, I think, or maybe it's a little more than 20, 25 to have a perfectly good RSS feed and they'll never They'll never try to keep your RSS feed. They'll never try to own it. You absolutely have to own your RSS feed because your RSS feed is your subscribers. Your, your subscribers are subscribed to your RSS feed. They're not subscribed to your show. You know what I mean? So you'll lose them if you can't move it or you, if it belongs to a business. So yes, do not do free on anything, to be honest, unless it's a free trial. So we were on the topic of monetization. We kind of got cut short, <laughs> but I would love to hear, I think you had some other um, options of ways that you could monetize your podcast. So I would love to kind of what <laughs> the rest of that looks like. So we talked about using your show as more of a media company. The product is essentially the listeners, right? The product is the podcast and the listeners and the attention that you have that you can turn around and go to the brands and say, hey, I have all these listeners. Do you want them to hear about you? That's option one. And then option two is using it as more of a marketing channel for a course. And this is, this is a route that I, I definitely recommend. I think online courses are getting pretty crowded. So we have to be smart about what niche we go into and how we build our course. 
but I think it's still a good way to get started right away making money online. If you have expertise in something unique or interesting or different or teach something in a different way to immediately start making money off your show. Because to get to that point of making money on ads, you need a certain number of downloads, right? We need to be in the 10, 20, 30, 40, 50,000 a month range. And that's going to take some time. So what you could do in the meantime is sell an online course. All right. So those are kind of the main ways that you can make money. And I know there's like people have built businesses as have you. I just had somebody on as a guest as well the other day and he had built his entire business off his podcast. Yes. Other things you can do. So outside of the online course model, you can do live events. We've done those in Boston, New York and Tokyo, which was so cool. You can get your listeners together. You can you can collaborate with another podcaster to host online in-person live events if you have a similar audience. You can we built an iOS and an Android app. You could do that, build software. So there's a ton that you can do. Just think about what business do you want in five years and how much like influence do you want to have to have? Like, do you want to extract yourself from this company or do you want to be in it, like deep in it? Right. Ask yourself some good questions. That's so fun. I love that kind of live in-person event. So saturation, do you think that there are almost too many podcasts on the market and it's so saturated, it's, it's difficult. You can still do it, but maybe it's a lot more difficult to get into the market and have a high ranking podcast and build a business out of that? Or do you think it's really just strategic? Well, it's hard to answer because we launched in 2013, but we just launched a new show in... October of last year. And yes, we used our network to launch this show, right? So we already had the benefit of the big network, the two shows that already had the downloads. We pushed our listeners to this new show and it's doing about, I think it's doing about 10,000 downloads a day, which is not bad. It's much smaller, but it's not bad at all. I think it's a lot harder, but I still believe that you can do it. I still believe there is space for independence to make waves in this industry. You look at some of the big famous shows like the Meghan and Harry podcast is going away now. They did like 12 episodes. It's not always a sure thing that these famous stars are going to succeed and take all the the listener ear share, as they call it, right? The listener share. So, you know, podcasting does lend itself to weird niches, weird hobbies, weird focuses, areas in which you can totally nerd out and you can be the one person in that niche. So yes, I do think it can be done, but you need to be a lot more strategic. Like for us, we just kind of stumbled on success, nice cover art, extreme consistency. You have to be very consistent, publish when you say you're going to. Now you need to go into the guesting, go into the feed drops, the promo swaps, the going to conferences, talking to people, collaborating. You need to do a bit more, but it can still be done. We've talked a lot about various different areas of podcasting. Is there anything that you feel is important to note that we haven't touched on here? I just want to come back and circle back before we go out of podcasting to the importance of having a core value or a core differentiating belief about your industry. And ours is the connection piece, the human connection. And you have to believe it in your bones, right? I mean, you know, for me, that comes from learning languages and feeling a little disconnected traveling the world. It has to be something that you could talk about for hours. Not just the content, but the angle on the content, what you believe is true about this industry or this topic. It could shift over the over time. That's fine. But it has to go deeper than just the words you're speaking. Your listeners have to hear it in your voice, that passion, that belief. Otherwise, it's just not, 
I don't know, it's just not going to work, right? It's going to be too superficial. Podcasting is a, a medium that lends itself to depth. So I think we, we need that in a show. I completely agree. I started, so I've had this podcast for a while. Before this, started a marketing podcast. And <laughs> as much as I love marketing in the online space, it was not a true passion of mine. And so yeah. it really just kind of fizzled and faded out. And so I completely could not agree more with what you're saying. And, and this podcast here, I mean, it's called Work, Wealth and Travel. Those are really the three things that we talk about, whether it be making money, entrepreneurship, traveling the world, being a digital nomad, all of these topics that I'm so passionate about because I'm all about what I like to call lifestyle design. And that's what I talk about a lot on the podcast is truly designing a life that you want to live out every single day. And like whenever I talk about it, no joke, it gives me goosebumps. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just not sustainable. 100%. That's a really good sign. You get goosebumps when you when you say what you believe. That means that you could go on and on and on in past when everyone else has given up. That's what it takes to succeed in podcasting. You just keep going. And at the same time, you're being strategic about growing your show. That's the formula for success. So make sure you have a topic you love and an angle on that topic that truly touches you deeply that matters to you, that's the recipe for success in podcasting. Thank you for sharing that. So where can everybody find you and your podcast? Oh, man. Yeah. So check out my show. First of all, this is the way to find a new show when you're on another show, right? Open the search bar right now, guys, and type in All Ears English. You'll see lots of yellow. All three of our podcasts are yellow. But you can hit follow on All Ears English, listen to our show, hear how we do our intros, our outros, how we structure our episodes to get some tips. And, you know, I'm also offering, you know, coaching, kind of informal coaching right now on how to start a podcast. So if you guys want to check me out on LinkedIn, do a request to connect and I'm happy to, to help. I'm thinking of going into the area of helping people start podcasts. You just have to make sure it's like we said before, right? When you start a show. You have to make sure this is really something you feel strongly about so that you have the oomph to put behind what you're saying. So I'm going through that process of reflection now. And you can find all of Lindsay's links below and definitely be sure to check out her podcast. I love how brand on brand you are right now with your yellow shirt as well. <laughs> You've just listened to the Work, Wealth and Travel podcast. If anything from this episode resonated with you, I would appreciate if you share this podcast on your socials. And of course, be sure to tag me. And don't forget to leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for joining me on this global citizen journey, and I'll see you in the next episode.